Welcome to Mysteries from Owl Creek Press. Today's book giveaway is Cutter's Legacy, The Search for Yamashita's Gold. Go to owlcreekpress.com, check it out, read about it. If you're interested, drop me a line at owlcreekpress at gmail.com. I'll send you a code and an explanation how to use it to get your audio version of Cutter's Legacy, Search for Yamashita's Gold. Well, this is your host, Kit Crum, and today we've got two stories. First, a strange message found in a time capsule, and then a battle with Bigfoot. According to the International Time Capsule Society, there are around 15,000 time capsules worldwide. A time capsule can be a box, bottle, or literally a metal capsule. As often as time capsules contain letters and news clippings about significant events, they also may contain letters, pictures created by children. Often school will bury a time capsule with students' ideas about the future. Some time capsules are meant to be open in 50 years, but most have notes on the outside of the container asking that it not be open until a specific date. The oldest time capsule in the United States was created by Paul Revere and Samuel Adams and is believed to have been buried in 1795, making it the oldest known time capsule in the United States. Time capsules have been discovered, but most have been purposefully dug up. Two time capsules out of Japan contain remnants of souvenirs of Hiroshima. Many time capsules are simply intended to show what was going on when it was buried. In an area of Germany where the German SS were trained, time capsules found beneath the floor were filled with Nazi paraphernalia, including pictures of Adolf Hitler and two copies of his book Mein Kampf. Then there was a surprise time capsule discovered in plain sight at an American Legion post-76 that had been sitting in the lobby for years. When they decided to fasten it down, it was an artillery shell. When they were fastening it down for safety's sake, they discovered that it was a time capsule from 1934. But someone else had discovered it earlier and left a note that stated simply, Thanks for the brandy. The note was tucked inside an empty brandy bottle. Many schools created time capsules, usually elementary grades, and usually with the idea that in 50 years most of the children, if still in the area, would appreciate the contents when the capsules were opened 50 years later. In the 1950s, most children wrote about flying cars and rocket ships. By the 1960s, letters were about pollution and becoming president. Demolition crews in Albuquerque, New Mexico, discovered a time capsule from 1968 near a former elementary school. Most of the children wrote about their favorite TV shows, but Greg Lee Youngman left a different kind of note. I'm dead, he wrote. I go to Montgomery School. That is the Oldham School name. I was born in 1900. You ought to now, and that's spelled A-U-T-O, ought to now know I'm dead. My favorite subject is spooking the police. I play the guitar. In case you don't know what it is, it is a board with strings on it. I am 10 years old. See you later, savages. Okay, granted Greg had a morbid sense of humor. Most unusual. Most time capsule notes don't have that kind of content. Concerning some, there are prophecies that came true. The capsule was a metal ammo box pulled from the foundation of a building 
all that was left of the burned-out logging ghost town of Climax, located in the southern Cascade Mountain Range. The child's printing date was 1948, described a town of British Columbia's north coast that would boom in 1979 with over a 1,000 residents, but would become completely deserted by 1982. This is the prophecy note. In the note, he stated that the town would be as modern as any community of the decade. He ended with the comment that even after the town was completely deserted, it would still have electricity for 30 years. Underneath the date, he printed his name, Philip Simon, followed by grade three, Mrs. Sims class. For decades, the notes from the time capsule found at Climax collected dust in a police archive. The department hired a new officer who was given the assignment of cleaning out the back room, including the old archives. When he came to the letters from the time capsules, he paged through them, reading each one. But when he came to Phillips, it was interesting. The officer had grown up in Kitsault, B.C., and had vivid memories of his family moving out of the town in 1980. Search on the station's computer revealed that indeed Kitsault had ended up deserted by 1982, yet retained power lines for 30 years. But when he searched the internet for the author, Philip Simon, was not to be found, nor could he locate any school in the area that was around in 1948 with a teacher with the last name of Sims. Now the story of a battle with Bigfoot. In Nepal, they call the creature Yeti. Across Asia's higher elevations, they call it the abominable snowman. In Canada, the word Sasquatch is believed to be the Salish word meaning wild man or hairy man. J.W. Burns coined the term in the 1930s. He was an Indian agent assigned to the Chihalas Band, now known as the First Nation people, who claim a close bond with Sasquatch and believe it has the ability to move between the physical and spiritual realm. In the Pacific Northwest, it has yet a different name. In Oregon, they tell you the gorilla-sized creature is Bigfoot. An 1884 article in Victoria's British Columbia is often cited as the earliest documented evidence of a Sasquatch sighting. The article described the capture of a half-man, half-beast, near Yale, B.C., nicknamed Jacko. It was described as something of a gorilla type that resembled a human covered in thick, glossy black hair. No one knows for sure when the Northwest Bigfoot legend truly began, but the most successful launching pad for the public's obsession with it is known a battle that supposedly took place in a narrow gorge on the east flank of Mount St. Helens. The gorge is now called Ape Canyon. It was the summer of 1924 when four glassy-eyed prospectors stumbled out of the woods claiming to have been attacked by a group of seven-foot-tall hairy beasts. Fred Beck, Gabe Lefevre, John Peterson, Marion Smith, and Smith's sons Roy described coming upon gorilla men near where they had built a small cabin. They were eight miles from Spirit Lake when they encountered the group. When they described their ordeal to a reporter for the Oregonian newspaper, they estimated them at about 400 pounds each and seven feet tall. One of the men shot at one, hitting it three times. Beck said the wounded animal toppled off a cliff. 
That night, while in their cabin, the beasts attacked, finally making a hole in the roof. The creatures threw large rocks at them. The next morning, all was silent. The men fled the woods. The next day, the newspaper's headline read, Fight with Big Apes Reported by Miners. Fabled beasts are said to have bombarded cabin. U.S. Forest Service decided to investigate. Rangers J.H. Huffman and William Wells hiked into the forest with Beck, who took them to the cliff where he said the wounded ape man fell. They scrambled down a supposedly inaccessible canyon and found nothing. Beck and the rangers continued on to the prospector's cabin, and Beck pointed out the large stones that had been used in the attack. Hoffman and Welch weren't impressed, concluding that the gold miners had probably placed the large stones themselves. But an Oregonian reporter asked the rangers when they returned, what about the 14-inch long footprints found near the cabin? Hoffman created an imprint in the ground using his knuckles in the palm of his right hand. They were made that way, he said. So ends the story of the Bigfoot battle of Mount St. Helens of 1924. But despite the ranger's report of the story, people still want to believe. Today, across Washington and Oregon, Bigfoot can be found on mugs and t-shirts. And if you talk to the right people and ask the right questions, they might show you a picture of Bigfoot. You've been listening to the strange message found in a time capsule and the Bigfoot battle, Mysteries from Owl Creek Press. This is Kit Crumb. Thanks for listening.